rock shit scandalous. Welcome to another installment of Five Songs with Friends. I'm your host, DJ Podgorny, and we're coming at you live from the Big G's Pizza Studio here on Fullerton, home of Chicago's best mac and cheese pizza. And today I am joined by a very special guest, an old friend of mine, Dirk. Maloney. Dirk, what's going on? Hey, man. How are you? I'm good, dude. How are you? Good, good. Lunch yeah. was great. It was delicious. We went hitting, what was it, Lula Cafe? Lula's Cafe, yeah. On the square. In Logan, Logan square. square. That's yeah. it, man. Um, as always, you're rocking a floral shirt. Yeah. For Love those it. for those of our, us listening, describe the shirt you're wearing right now. Well, I'm colorblind, so you'll have to bear with me. I think it's a, a blue, navy blue or black background. Navy blue. Navy blue. And it has some subtle palm like floral patterns so it's not too summery but you know right it's the winter it is uh the day it's christmas eve eve today yeah december 23rd and you're bringing the tropical vibe so i appreciate that yeah with aviator jacket and some new boots i got yeah 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 you always were a man of of good fashion how did you get into that um i think it was a form of expression if i had to be honest like it wasn't just about Am I wearing a certain brand or am I, you know, do I have to look a certain amount of polish? It was, you know, I wanted to be different. And I think I always had a part of me that wanted to express just my creativity in the limited ways I was able to. So in certain parts of my life, I had a lot of outlets for that. And, you know, as I've gotten older, it's been harder to find the time or those outlets to be creative. So I think. What are the old outlets that you used to have? Old outlets were definitely music. Um, for those that know me, they're very familiar with it. But for those that don't, um, music was to me as, you know, football or sports was to most folks that, you know, grew up in my town or in my generation, I guess. But um, that was where I met most of my friends, did most of my social things, anything extracurricular. I'd say easily 80% of it was music related. So, okay, wait, what do you mean? So, what, do you like play instruments or yeah. for those that don't know? Yeah, yeah. So, I started. Um, Really, really young. I guess the earliest I was singing in choirs at age two or three, my mom told me. What? Yeah. Kids can sing that young? Uh, they, it was some kind of, uh, what I, I don't know if it really, it was probably a lot of racket, to be honest. But it was there was something at the time where it's like, oh, it leads to intelligence or some fooey. I'm not a parent, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. There could be something to it. But nonetheless, that's the earliest. But since then, I had done... Uh, Played trumpet for eight or ten years, most of it jazz of some kind. Um, I did a lot of singing, so I was a concert baritone, I would say. You know, not a full bass like many operatic singers, but practically speaking, I was a bass, and I sang in different jazz ensembles, choirs, and then um, most recently, a competitive collegiate acapella, which I was able to do a lot with. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I've seen you, I saw you at least perform. Numerous times under no comment acapella, yep. correct? Am I getting yep, that right? Yep, yep. Yeah, you guys killed it. Yeah, we did pretty well. Um, over our my tenure in the group, I you know, have stayed a little less in touch with what they're doing now. I decided the University of Illinois, um, for those that don't know the group. But um, while I was there, we started as this no-name group. And over my four years, we uh, kind of broke out of that. And, you know, at, by the end of it, we had been ranked nationally. Um, you know, I think one year we were sixth in the nation, according to ICCA, which for those that don't know, that's the, uh, I think it, I'm going to butcher if I try and spell out the, what the acronym is, but it's uh, the same competition that's in Pitch Perfect. And for the longest time, it was the most popular acapella competition in the U.S. And 
kind of the world because acapella is really only a American and British thing from what I've gathered. But um, but yeah, it was really cool. Got a shout out from Zed and one other artist for a cover that we did, and mm. it was really cool. And we were on a TV show. So that's right. Yeah, people forget it was what your junior year, senior, senior year. Yeah. So when I stepped down from leadership in the in the group and kind of didn't give a shit and, you know, was able to be a little bit sassier than I normally was because, you know, I wasn't on the line. I kind of could just participate, which was convenient. But, um, but yeah, we were, it was supposed to be real life pitch perfect. And the year that that movie came out, um, they, uh, TV companies were really interested in doing real life pitch perfect because they're like, wait a minute, like the shit that was just on this popular movie mm-hmm. that like preteens and teenagers and other people really loved. And, you know, the sing off was big at the time and, you know, there's a lot of momentum there. There's people that we could get really cheap talent, like reality TV. That's it's cheap talent is what it is. And we could go and just, hey, did you guys get paid for that? Not much. And I don't know. I mean, if this is public, I don't know how much I can really say, but like really, really not much, if anything at all. Like less than 10 Like grand? covering cost. Okay. So like just, wh- just think of it as that. I didn't, nothing ended up in my pocket. I'll put it that way. Gotcha. Um, like covering costs for you guys to get to competitions and things like that? Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, yeah, how else would you pay for that if you didn't? So they, they covered like um, anything that they were filming. They covered a lot, I'll say. So like um, they filmed us going to the Midwestern finals that year. They covered the bus going to and from. They might have bought us a couple meals or something. And they made like a small donation. It's the equivalent of like what I would say the group got on top of that. Um, so, But really what we got out of it was more the experience and being the, one of the first groups and you know, we were one of five groups that were featured for a whole season. It wasn't just like one episode. It was like, you'll probably, if you watch the whole season, it used to be on Hulu and Netflix. Now it's gone. But um, you could see me interviewed, I would guess, at least five times, maybe 10. Me alone, let alone people that were far more talkative than I was on the show in my group. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a really cool experience. And, you know, John Legend produced it. And, you know, it was way farther than this little singing hobby I thought would ever take me. But... um you know, and I just was the bass, you know, think about like, it's basically the vocal equivalent of a bass guitarist, most literally, because, you know, a bass in a jazz ensemble, rock ensemble, whatever, they're kind of, you know, an extension of the drum kit and that they're providing the structure for everyone to kind of flow on top of. Mm-hmm. They're the ones providing the root of the chord and then in choral settings, you know, your bass really needs to be in tune because otherwise, you know, as I've been taught, you know, other people can be thrown out of tune really quickly if the root isn't there. And then they also drive rhythm a lot. So it was really bass and vocal percussion is where I did a lot of my performing. Wait, can you beatbox too? Yeah, it's been five years. So it'd be a little rough, but. Do it now. No. Okay. <laughs> but. Uh, Maybe later. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you watch the show, you'll see me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, if you go, if you look up No Common Acapella on, um, on Spotify, in Bang Bang is probably the best recorded song out there that I've beatboxed for. Mm. And I was just fucking around one day. And, you know, this was uh, without going down a whole rabbit hole of just this song. But it was a song that was supposed to be a filler song that when we went to high schools, people like went crazy for because at the time it was top of the charts. Um, I just was like making shit up, trying to have fun. Ended up being a competition song and then something we ended up, ended up doing on the TV show. So and nonetheless, we recorded it, paid to have it recorded. And I'd say that's a pretty good representation of my peak performance, which was five years ago at this point. But Still really cool. Damn. Yeah, dude. You no con, no comment acapella had like a huge impact on you, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um it was kind of weird. Like for folks that know me, I think they know me as being a little expressive and extroverted, but if you ever spend time with acapella kids, which are like, you know, picture a theater kid and a cheerleader put together and 
you know, <laughs> it's that. They're catty, but then super expressive and emotional. And I think it was a part of me that I never, you know, I think the floral shirts speak for themselves. It's a kind of expression that um, I had longed for at the time. And, you know, being a singer, it kind of came out and gave me an outlet for it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's like so much I could comment on it. And they're still very good friends to this day. Of There's mine. so much you can comment on. No comment. <laughs> Well, actually, I'm really curious because this is one thing that I don't think I have gone into too much much depth with you about. But what was your experience being a reality TV star? Oh, that was interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, if I actually look back and, you know, it might have been more than six weeks, but picture roughly six weeks cumulative time that the TV crew was following you around for any part of practice that you would normally or performance you would normally be doing. So for us, if you're in a competitive group, it's not uncommon to practice 10, 11 hours a week. And then in competition season, it'll go up to 15 or more. Doesn't that strain your voice? Doesn't you fatigue your voice? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's all about balance. You know, I mean, that's a whole other topic I could go into. So a uh, quick question about that, because it's something that's very interesting to me. Do you practice exactly how you play or do you like take it up a notch when you actually perform? Um, you should practice how you play or practice saying how you practice, if you will. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you're using your voice all day. Right. And like, you know, the, one of the music directors, well, the music director, when we were really doing well, the way she would put, she was a jazz vocal performance major. And she would say like, you know, you don't, by you were rehearsing at what, like seven at night. And she's like, you know, let's warm up a little bit to like stretch the range of your voice. But you don't, we don't really need to do a lot because you've been talking all day. You've been awake. But if you just wake up, like that's, you know, your, your voice hasn't, you know, your vocal folds, not chords, but folds haven't really been moving much. So then you'd need more warm up. But, but yeah, I mean, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want to be blasting your voice at any point or, you know, singing in like the bottom quarter of your range, a hundred percent of the time, or, you know, but you want to be a flex. That's why classical music, you'll, you'll see, hear singers use the top and the bottom of their range where, and that was a complaint of mine as a bass. I was, you know, just by nature of the art, it was it would push you to use the bottom third of your range most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fried out my voice quite a bit. And that's kind of one of the drivers for me to want to do vocal percussion was just to give my voice a break. Um, and, you know, and there wasn't really a lot, a big solo outlet, um, namely because we had really great talent otherwise. But also, like, unless you're listening to country or jazz or like, you know, I only want to be with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is he a bass? Uh, I'd say he's a baritone. Um, was it Darius Rucker, right? Yeah. Yeah. Darius Rucker. Um, like him or, I mean, most country artists are baritones, but nonetheless, like, you know, there's not a lot of outlets. And while I like country, it was never like my choice. You know, I think the one song, if you, for those that really go digging, you'll find a Zach Brown band song I sang, but like that wouldn't have been my first choice, you know, but, and it's not a gripe as much as just it was a reality. Yeah. So like, that's, I think, what pushed me to vocal percussion. Right. You're not doing like Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam. Yeah, no. Uh, in acapella setting. But hey, man, maybe there's a market for that. Yeah. So what when when the crew was around, did you see your um, cohort or what What do you like? What would you call them? Is it like a cohort of or like your teammates? How would you? Call oh, yeah. Them? People call them acapella teams and, and they had a lot of I call it my group. It's just my friends. Group, okay. Yeah. My acapella group is probably what I use the most. So would you see your uh, people in your group acting differently when the cameras came around? Or would it, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of folks and um, and I'll leave them nameless for this sake. But I th- um, they were very crazy. 
when the camera wasn't on them because, you know, whatever, you're just with your friends, you can say what you want and, you know, we're not going to judge you and it's just more for shock factor. But when people don't know you and that's your sense of humor, that can look really bad if it's on the wrong. Right. Out of context, it can look bad, right? Right, right. Um, but yeah, so they act, acted a little bit differently and there were, you know, to close out the question that you introduced five minutes ago of what my experience was, and I think we've gotten a little bit of you know, rabbit hole to a oh, degree, but dude, like, that's what this podcast is. This is just a rabbit hole with oh, a rabbit I know. hole. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, but um, uh, my experience was good. I'd say the producers and everyone, they're really nice. Um, my complaint would be while, you know, um, rumor had it that a bigger, well, it got demoted to like lesser and lesser known networks because acapella kids didn't want to have anything contrived. They wanted it, wanted it to be real. But I'd say like at least 30% of the storyline was like made up. Mm. And they, and there was probably even more than that, that they cut like little side shoots that I did with, you know, Micah, one of my friends and other side shoots that, you know, it was like with another group on campus. There was a girl in my group that was dating someone in the extension cords and they had to do things. Um, a puppy was involved at one point and it was, um, it, it just, it would put people in some really uncomfortable situations, but, um, that would be my biggest gripe. It was just how produced it was. There's even one scene and this is like my fun fact at work. I can technically say I was naked on national television, which I do remember this. I've yeah. seen this scene. Yeah, it's fun. Um, so for the public's sake, um, one of the side things we were doing was going to get a spray tan and it was one guy in the group that would do them regularly. And the, the whole thing was, you know, Scott's taking, you know, the guys to go get a spray tan. I thought it was hilarious. So I'm like, sign me up. Like, you know, when am I going to get a spray tan and not have to pay for it again in my life? But nonetheless, um, I went and they gave us like matching underwear to wear. Cause like, you know, I mean, that's how most, the average person goes and gets a spray tan. There's some bodybuilders and stuff, but so I'm, I'm like spread Eagle literally. And then this woman is spraying me and they're videoing me. It's not, you know, the most comfortable moment in my life. And I'm just trying to come up with some small talk. I'm like, well, what would be worse than this being naked? So I ask, you know, has anyone ever come in naked? And, you know, we have this whole conversation about bodybuilders and, you know, this and that. And basically that whole conversation gave the producers enough to work with to then splice it out and blur out my, my groin. <laughs> and then they just made it like I was naked. And, um, it was pretty funny to be honest. And it, I've had like no negative repercussions because of it. I was so nervous, you know, as a 22 year old, but it was funny. That's so goofy. How, how big was the, uh, like the list of, um, like waivers you had to sign before you got featured on the show? <sighs> it was at least 10 or 20 pages, something like that. Did you read them all or were you just like, ah, I did. I My dad was always like, anything you sign, you got to read every line. So I still kind of do that. But, um, uh, someone in the group knew an entertainment lawyer that looked at it and it basically was like, okay, we're going to get nothing out of this other than the publicity. It was, it, I mean, I don't regret it at all, but like we kind of just set the expectations right and made sure we were educated going into what, what we were signing up for. What channel did it premiere on? Pop TV. So for those that don't know Pop TV, um, it used to be TV Guide and TV Guide was smart and decided, okay, you know, we can't just be a channel that shows what's on other channels anymore. You know, we need to you know, come up with stuff. And some of their content's really good. I don't know if you've watched the show Shit's Creek before. No. Um, that's the only other bit of content I'm familiar with that they show. But um, I would say it's a pretty good sitcom, non-laugh track sitcom that I've enjoyed. It's very sassy. Um, those are my words. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. But 
Yeah. So that's Pop TV. That's what it was on um, a few years ago at this point. Okay. I'm so interested by your acapella journey because like I that's something I had never even heard about before college and honestly probably even before I met you. Um, <laughs> oh really? I just yeah, it was the whole world I was completely unfamiliar with and then I learned well actually I was an RA in my sophomore year. I think it was before I met you and one of my residents was um Jordan something he was Pettis. Jordan Pettis, yeah. yeah he was in was it extension chords or Yep. And he was what you uh like more dedicated singers would call a basso profundo at least from what i know you know if you hear um if you've heard of the pentatonics right um, their their bass is one as well avi cap or their former bass avi kaplan and basically it's hard to really um unless i can point to a note on a bass clef for for most folks but basically he can sing full fifth or octave below most normal basses wow so he's like uber low yeah like very low um, to the point where like you could become a professional, like it's so, it's very rare, like them, at least in male voices that basso profundos and then counter tenors, which, you know, I'm not going to just define it the best, but basically they, there's no flip to falsetto, you know, they can sing up into soprano ranges and they still sound like, you know, normal, you know, full grown men, but then they just have these massive ranges. Pentatonics also has, has one. Um, and, um, and there's only, yeah, I could go on and on that but yeah so that was Jordan Pettis so that's how I got introduced to acapella but before that I didn't even know what it was like my whole freshman year of college I don't think I was exposed to it so was that a culture that you knew you wanted to participate in before you got to school or how did you find out about acapella groups I was very uh, invested in choir in high school and it was very common and and this is something we did especially around winter break or like right before you know summer break um, acapella groups would be off a little bit earlier or whatever than than high school and when they would do tours so I saw over the course of my high school career, I don't know, at least a dozen different acapella groups come in and out. And it was always like, I didn't even fully make it. It wasn't like a fully conscious decision even. I just knew like that was something I wanted to do. I was going to do that in college in some capacity. Um, like bigger, you know, one big name group I remember coming through was the G-Men from University of Michigan. And they've been a very well-regarded group for a long time, usually like make it to finals and in ICCA in New York, and you know they have a lot of great content out there. Another group um, that you should look up, and one of the songs we'll listen to today is from another one of my favorite, one, another favorite group of mine in the collegiate acapella level. Um, so I figured that would be a good little grain of salt, not salt, I don't know, just something that people could a little tidbit, yeah, that people could be introduced into the scene. Um, but yeah, that's cool. So is it like mostly show choir and choir kids that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like I was in like the varsity choir for most of most of high school i did jazz ensembles for at least three years of it did things on the side you know and i also did like music theory and i did like a whole year of music composition and arranging and i was very invested in music in high school damn do you still fool around play music ever today no but um it's not all bad it was actually kind of like a good break you know and i kind of realized like while it is a deep passion of mine and something I'd like to get back into in some capacity, I realized I was never made to be doing it professionally. I don't think, you know, it, it was something, you know, I was able to get a lot out of at that time when I had the time to invest in it. But I, I don't think in order to enjoy an art form, you have to be full time. You know, I think, you know, for those who particularly music, you know, I had friends who went and pursued it and, you know, friends that went to Berkeley and like really, really pushed it. 
you really have to live and breathe it and be to the point where you can see yourself doing absolutely nothing else. And it's just like such a raw form of dedication that even to somewhat make it, it requires. And I don't think I had that, but I still had a deep passion for it. Yeah, you seem like the type of person who craves variety a little bit too much to ever go balls to the wall on one thing like that. I absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely that. Because, it, but it's 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 easy to romanticize something like music. Like I've romanticized things like that in my past. Like I romanticize music, even with this podcast to a certain extent. And um, sports, for instance, was also something I used to romanticize. That's like if I get a career in sports, like I would be so happy then. But then you realize that a lot of times it's just like any other job. Like, yep. I have a friend who's a songwriter in LA and stuff. And, um, you know, they spend hours in the studio grinding to get the right song concept done. And you got to get a bunch of people to agree on the direction of a song. And it's, it's a lot of work, man. It's just like anything else. Yeah. And, you know, it, the more I've heard about the business, like I've had friends that have either tried out or made it on the voice. Um, I've had friends. I don't know, like that. Just yeah, tell so me we, different we, stories. We do have a mutual friend. So Micah was on The Voice. What? It, I've never Two heard. years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. And Micah will kill me for not remembering how far she made it, but I know it wasn't super far. But you just kind of... Team Blake, right? I think so, yeah. Um, but nonetheless, uh, what I kind of heard from that whole thing, you know, the public might think, and maybe this is just something I gave into for a while, but it's not like fully vote-based or anything like that. A lot of it is marketing and how... They're fitting different archetypes or stereotypes they're trying to fill. What's all this? Yeah, they got to tell a story over a season, right? Yeah, and like I, I mean, it's not just you know. For me, as a musician and someone who was really invested in the art, um, it, I was always like, quality and like talent should be risen above marketability. I mean, that's obviously not how the world works, you know. Well, I would argue that we're getting more and more democratized. I mean, look at people like. Mac DeMarco, for instance, who does everything DIY. Do you ever listen to Mac DeMarco? No, I'll have to check him out. Um, yeah, he, they call him like the prince of indie rock, but he's like this dude who makes everything pretty much in his apartment, or at least used to, and has gained significant notoriety as a result. Like Thanks to technology, I mean, look at all the SoundCloud rappers and stuff now. Yeah. Um, and and uh, what's um, a guy who's saying thrift shop? I'm blanking right uh, now. Macklemore. Macklemore. I think he's a great example of that as well. I mean, he's, the story I heard, at least, he was told no by multiple studios, and he just like did it on his own and went very big. Yeah, do you know? Chance the Rapper, right? I mean, he's Volfpec, do you listen to Volfpec ever? No. Nope. Oh, my oh God. wait, maybe that does sound familiar. Volfpec is fucking amazing. That's okay. like my favorite band of 2019. Okay. I have to dig more into them. They Their whole shtick was they, they're genius, by the way. So they're... They started out, they're University of Michigan guys, and they would just play um, like this, this weird brand of improvision funk music. Interesting. And, and they would record it all. They would. They have one guy who writes all the songs, composes all the songs, and they play it through like twice, three times, and then they record on the fourth take, even when no one's ready. So like they, they kind of fuck up a little bit, but it's that weird soft spot where it's like they haven't memorized the song, but it's a little bit of improvision and like still creativity and it flows mm-hmm. through the song, but they do awesome YouTube videos to go with every song. So that's kind of how they got the word out. Um, and they also monetize through the YouTube videos. And then they actually like, they put all their music on Spotify as well, but their genius lies where they built like this weird cult following through, uh, through YouTube and the community and, and stuff that they built through that. Mm-hmm. But they put on an album that was like 10 tracks and it was all like just silence and they would be like, they would just tell their fans like, hey, put this on, stream it while you sleep on Spotify. Um, and so that way we get generate downloads and we can monetize the downloads <laughs> or the, the streams. But 
you don't actually like it doesn't cost you anything it's just like we're basically gaming the system and they made like 20 grand doing that and then spotify shut them down (laughs) yeah i've i feel like they're not the only band to have done that i've heard that story a couple times or a similar story a couple but it's it's regardless it's still cool that bands were doing that let's oh yeah very punk rock of them (laughs) yeah it is i mean there's a lot um you know i mean there's a whole conversation thread around like spotify's paying practices and like remember an article i read i think it was a rolling stone article that talked about alo block who did that song with avicii and I think he said over the course of a year, his share of that was like $4,000 or something. Wow. This was this like song that was top of the global charts and like, I don't know. I mean, and this is outdated. And I think this is before Taylor Swift took her songs off Spotify for a while. And, you know, I think a lot of it's come back and I don't know what's changed. But, you know, I think that's a part of the industry that's adjusting. But to your point, you know, I think, and I, I forgot how we got on this originally, but I, I mean, as my understanding, my understanding of the music industry, it's grown significantly. And it's because platforms like Spotify allow people that couldn't afford to buy every single album that they wanted to to listen to, you know, to be able to listen to so much more. Now, everyone's able to listen to so much more. And to your earlier point, I do think it's become democratized. But I do think at the same time, uh, talent and um, what's popular isn't, isn't correlated all the time. No, yeah, very rarely. Right. Very rarely. So I, I think that that's how we got into that. So there was comment on the voice from before. Mm-hmm. It was all about what, what can be marketed. And while the industry is democratized, my, like I would agree with you with that, I think what's popular is still what can be sold. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all like where the money is. Yeah. And I mean, I think for me that, you know, it was a hard truth, to a hard pill truth to swallow. Truth mm-hmm. pill to swallow, whatever. But Yeah, it, it is. But it, it yeah, that... that the best musicians aren't always the most popular. I mean, like, do you know what Victor Wooten is? No. You're, like, uh, enlightening me today, man. Well, well, I'm just bringing up, like, really obscure bands at this point. Mostly bass players. The reason I love Volpeck, by the way, is they have the best bass player under 30 ever. Like, Joe Dart is... I'll play some shit later. Yeah, please he is do. absolutely incredible bass player. Fender Jazz bass player. Um, but, uh, anyways, yeah, Victor Wooten is, like, arguably the best bassist ever to play. And you've never heard any of his songs. That's um, crazy. I know Jimi Hendrix would point, and I found this out after I went to Dublin, point to this Irish guitarist, and don't ask me what the guy's name is because I forgot, but uh, in the 70s, he was considered the best guitarist around or something like that. And like, you know, when Jimi Hendrix was asked, you know, so I guess it was the 60s if Jimi was still alive, still around, but when asked like, who's the best guitar player in the world, Jimi would point to this guy. Mm-hmm. So that's the story I remember, but. Right. They're often, you know, the talent isn't always, you know, and actually another one of the songs I'll talk about today is a guy who is considered one of, you know, if not the best mandolin player in the world. McGregor Scholar, host of now an NPR show, uh, Prairie Home Companion. And he's done some beautiful work. And, you know, some little pockets of indie folk people are really into Chris Thiele. uh, But a lot of people don't know. him, Mm -hmm. And I think he's just a very talented artist um, that I can talk a lot about. Right. And that's what that's one of the reasons I love someone like Frank Ocean. Do you listen to Frank Ocean ever? A little bit, yeah. He is such an incredibly talented musician, but he still writes music that people actually like. Uh, a friend of ours, well, you know Matt Dwyer, he would talk about, he was in very much so into the pop punk scene, you know, Fall mm-hmm. Out Boy and... Big Motion City soundtrack guy. Very big motion. I think, I don't know if someone has been tweeted with them more <laughs> uh, or been to more shows. I think he's at 25. Yeah, and he gets a shirt at every one too, right? Yeah, he, it's nuts. But he would talk about it was either him or another friend, Chris Rice, if you remember him. But basically, one of them had told me that um, 
Fallout Boy would put out two, at one point, put out two different albums like within a year of each other, and one was for them, and one was for their their audience, their their fans, mm-hmm. and and the styles were very different. One was like very what you would expect from Fallout Boy, my, and the other wasn't. Um, so it's interesting to see, you know, how I don't know if that's playing the system. I think that's honestly, I don't blame them for doing something like that. Like have some freedom with one, and then kind of try something different. But. Yeah, a lot of bands will like every other song on a record will be to the masses for us to yeah. the masses for us um yeah i don't know it's it's so interesting like that's the one thing i've learned like there because i grew up on like ska and punk music oh i love ska god uh, fucking loves yeah uh, who are some of your favorite ska bands uh planet smashers are probably the top okay um and it's not you know i, I don't like you know no one's like a pure favorite but it, planet smashers were really reggae and if, from what i remember from them funk heavy where it just like you know um uh just like really synth heavy and then that now is also lit led into a lot of my taste and some of the other songs that i'll we'll play today but um but yeah planet smashers uh streetlight it's hard to not like streetlight streetlight that there's another incredible fucking bass oh yeah that guy is insane and then their vocalist is really interesting i mean just like and classically speaking the motifs they bring into play are like the replays of classical songs that they've done in their songs really interesting I'd have to go digging because there's some other bands I've like really enjoyed, um, and even just some of the, the the bigger names like Mighty Mighty Boss Tones are really good. Got me into Sublime, Real Big Fish. You like Real Big Fish? Yeah, yeah. Less than Jake. Less than Jake is great. They're new. Some they had like a popular album I wasn't a huge fan of, but like a lot of their stuff is really good. Oh, you didn't like Anthem? Is that the one you didn't like? Um, All in the Crowd, maybe. Or oh some... yeah, that one it sucked. <laughs> yeah, that was. I just remember not album. liking it. I didn't. Yeah. In with the Out Crowd is the name of that album. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was my favorite band in high school. Did you know that? Lesson J? Yeah. Yeah, you had good taste. Saw them like seven or eight times in high school. I had a friend who his brother was in a ska band, and those were the only ska shows I went to. But Did you ever go see Nick's band? Our friend Nick Connolly? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they used to cover, they would cover like some ska songs. Like yeah. Goldfinger, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I used to know how to play that. So also another instrument I used to play was guitar for a long time. I was in a little band in high school, and but I knew how to play that. Um, Superman? Yeah. That's I, a hard song to play on guitar. Uh, I could play half of it okay. in full transparency. You got to get the, the ska upstrokes going. Oh, I could do that. I okay. mean, yeah. And I have the sheet music somewhere for it, but the solo I couldn't do. Yeah, it gets. It was a pretty involved song. We tried to cover that in our band, but then we didn't have any horns, so it sounded terrible. So we just scrapped it. But yeah, you kind of have to have horns for that yeah, song. Yeah, you do. Um, if you want to have like a Scott esque day, I don't know if you've heard of Sex on Toast before. They're not, no, they're a great. I also band. didn't hear the Planet Planet Smashers. Is that what they're called? Yeah, never heard so, of them. Um, think they're my favorite song. It's very crass. Uh, it's super orgy porno party, cool. and it's clay. And the music video is claymation orgy. Huh. It's oddly PG, but not PG, where like you mm. don't see anything gross, but like so many. I don't know. It's hilarious, right? Okay, I don't know if that makes any These sense. These the rabbit holes, rabbit holes you would go down in high school. Yeah, cool. Explains a lot. <laughs> Explains a lot, Dirk. I like wacky shit. What can I say? But um, I'm with you, man. Well, speaking of wacky shit, this is a music podcast. We do eventually play music on the show, and I think that would be a great opportunity for us to transition into introducing. Your first song, which is a fucking banger, a funky banger at the same time. I was gonna—I didn't know what I was gonna do with that there. I didn't know if I was gonna say funky banger or fucking, and so I just kind of. I thought you said fucky, like F U C K Y, and I was oh. gonna make fun of you for it. But. No, I tried to say fucking banger. We swear on the show, by the way. So if you want to swear, oh, yeah. feel free yeah. to. I have. I don't know if you've heard me. I have. I. It's it's just we're natural flow of conversation here, but it's a song <laughs> called "Walking in the Rain." Um, 
It's by the funky, what is it? Funk Mammoth. So Funk Mammoth. Tell us about it. Um, so I've really gotten into Indietronica, as Spotify would want to tell me. Um, okay. And uh, the overall, so uh, music for me has been kind of like a timeline more than anything. And it's kind of how I've noticed different influences of different bands and whatnot have like affected my my taste in music. So I think um, common threads would be um, disco from like early road trips of my mom playing Earth, Wind and Fire and whatnot. That little seed is planted and then kind of grown into um, an interest in house music, like pure house and like Daft Punk. There's definitely disco and funk overtones in that. Um, and um, jazz, you know, has always been had some kind of influence in my my taste in music, whether it's listening to crooners or playing Miles Davis or whatever. Um, and Funk Mammoth, I love this guy's story because all I can find on him, he's so small and all I can find on him is from online is that he went to the University of Iowa and just would play at bars there and play his own music. And he just, some of his stuff is really funny, but I love, you know, I think, you know, I'm newlywed and a lot of my time on weekends has now become relaxing with Ryan, my wife and you know, just kind of having that atmospheric cocktail lounge type music is what we've really enjoyed. And this just ha- brings a lot to the table. So, you know. Yeah, it definitely has a very strong bass line to it. That's also being a bass singer. Like a lot of this music, you'll notice those uh, overtones or undertones. Yeah. If you will. I was going to say a lot of these, uh, uh, you swapped in one at the last minute, so I haven't listened to that. But the other four songs, uh, most of them had pretty strong bass yep. lines, except for like the kind of... Um, the country-ish song or like the folky song. You put yeah, on. that's Chris Thiele. Uh, but but um, even then, was that like a cello they had playing in? Or? Um, uh, from what I know, violin, guitar, and mandolin. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and that's all like there was like an voices. In that's all voices. Well, let's listen to it. Yeah, we'll get, well, let's no. not get ahead of ourselves here. But um, anyways, let's just jump into the first song. We'll play it, then we can, we can talk about it. But this is a song called Walking in the Rain by Funk Mammoth.
Mouse Walking in the Rain by Funk Mammoth. So how'd you say you found this artist? Um, a lot of the ways I find artists is just um, through taking a new song at any given point I like and just doing some, honestly, Spotify radio um, and just kind of letting them their algorithm introduce me to related shit. Um, I'll say a lot of my taste has kind of been personal thing for me just because it's hard for me to find folks that are listening to the exact same thing that I'm listening to mm-hmm. um, there's definitely pockets but like I just end up it becomes like a one on like a personal thing you know so I just kind of dig and then create these playlists that are stockpiles of songs that fit a particular category for me and that's how I found them how often do you do like what is called protein listening where you are listening to new stuff hmm I don't know if I give it more thought i might end up giving you a different answer but i'd say 30 40 percent of the time maybe that much wow maybe 30 percent. i don't know it's hard to say because like my stockpiles i'll end up listening to things i don't even recognize because i threw it on once mm-hmm. so it's like where do you draw the line but a lot yeah that's a good point i'm an addict of variety almost to a fault where like i'm i get tired of things quickly yeah yeah that makes sense i can relate to that um yeah i don't know it's just like there's certain times where I'm more receptive to new music than other times. I'm just like, I just want to hear old bangers that I know I can go to my all hype playlist as I call it. Yeah, I definitely do that. I had like an indie playlist that I created in college. And then as my tastes shifted away from more mainstream alternative to kind of this like synth pop punk funky shit. I don't know how to, how to call it, what to call it, but I can talk more about that. But yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to think that you actually like liked pop punk and ska music. Like that's not something that I would, peg you for right away um i like ska pop punk i've never been a huge fan of but they're very related so it's hard to draw a line yeah they're 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 cousins for sure well i mean i was a trumpet player and any band geek is like someone in the ska in some capacity like it just kind of comes with the territory but um see i felt like in my high school like no one liked ska music except for like me and a handful of my friends um it was kind of that i mean most people like most people today, they're listening to whatever was popular at the time or weren't as passionate about it. But for the folks that were, like, there was a fair crowd that did, that liked it. I don't know. Do you ever go to Scott shows? A couple. Really small ones, though. It was, like, my buddy's brother that was in a pretty good one. And we just go skank for two or three hours <laughs> or something. It was great. I always say there's, like, no happier place on earth than a Scott mosh pit. Yeah, because <laughs> it's all, like, they're so nice and... No one's really – they're just bumping into each other. They're not even pushing each other. I don't know. Yeah, and everyone's smiling. Anyone, if anyone, like, God forbid, falls down, like, 10 people are there oh, to pick them okay? up. Like, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I actually took Nick and Nick Connolly and Sid to a Less Than Jake show. Oh, you did? I think it was Less Than Jake. Out West? Yeah. Or, I forget who it was. Pepper, I know, also played there. I think it was Less that Than Jake. rings a bell. Um, they're, like, a more reggae band. They're, like, Hawaiian reggae band. Ooh, you would like um, – Oh, Magic City Hippies. I don't know if you've heard them before. I have. I'm going to have to get some of this afterwards, though, because I'm yeah. like my inner high schooler comes out every once in a while, and it's good to have a little bit more of that type of music. Yeah. I would say Magic City Hippies is like a less trippy version of Sublime. Okay. It's more like um, easy listening. I don't even know how to describe it. Take a listen. They're worth a listen. The thing that I love about all that music is that for the most part, I should say the most part, like thematically, all of like the lyrics are pretty empowering. For the most part. In ska, you mean? Yeah. 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 It's mostly feel good or just being goofy or, you know, whatever. Um, Which is good because, like, the older I get, the more I realize that, like, what you put in is what ultimately becomes your reality. So, if, like, you're listening to sad emo music all the time, you're probably going to be sad and emo. Yep. Yep. And 
Yeah, I could see that. Definitely comes out in my um, my Netflix choices. And yeah, I'm not always picking. Oh, what do you common. mean? What do you listen? What do you watch on uh, Netflix? I, I'm while I have like a lot of opinions about music, I end up watching a lot of sitcoms. If I'm being honest, okay. Netflix because I think it's what I look to that content to do for me. It's like a release or something to like relax and not think a lot. What, what shows do you watch? Like, uh, I just How finished. I, Met uh, I loved How I Met Your Mother in college. Uh, don't watch it anymore. I think it's for the better. So I'm not. I'm look, watching new stuff instead. But yeah. most of the big name comedies I've watched. Schitt's Creek was the most recent one. I really yeah, liked that. You've been hyping that up today. Yeah, I have. Um, well, I was just watching it. Schitt's Creek, like you take a shit in a creek. Like, that's... well, that's that's the running joke throughout it all. And oh, okay. Like you know, the, one, of the main, of one of the bigger name characters is Roland Shit. Oh, and, and uh, their their kid was Roland Moira Shit Jr. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's pretty funny. It's um, and very sarcastic. But uh, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I've liked quite a bit. Um, and then classics like I've done, you know, I'll watch like the mac and cheese of TV, if you will, like Friends, Friends, and, yeah, and other stuff. But not the to say Wonder that's Bread. all. But you know, yeah, very much so the Wonder Bread of TV. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people like Wonder Bread. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's they're they sell it for a reason, man. Yeah. So, do you think people still buy Wonder Bread today? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I don't think I've seen people it still anymore. buy Twinkies. They still buy Wonder Bread. I mean, it's a good point. Who's buying this shit? Um, I shouldn't judge because there are actually a lot of places, even here in Chicago, that are like considered food deserts where yeah, that's all they get, get. Yeah, you can't get produce and stuff. My wife, uh, so we live in the St. Louis area right now, and she goes to a dental school that serves a lot of underserved folks. So they've got a clinic in East St. Louis and in a um, in Alton, Illinois, which has like a lot of underserved rural communities and just underserved populations. Um, but they deal with a lot of kids who really, really don't learn dental hygiene. And I mean, this is a whole other conversation maybe listeners don't want to hear about. But I mean, there's kids that are six years old that are coming in with black teeth. And it's because they, their parents think that they can't afford milk, not realizing milk is the same price as Mountain Dew or whatever. But that's what they're drinking and that's what they're consuming. God, so it's just, just destroying their teeth. Yeah. And I mean, they don't brush at night so that all that very sugary stuff is sitting on your teeth. And I mean, it's a lot of things that I've been, it makes you thankful in hearing about what other people are going through. But. Right. Um, yeah. If anyone's listening to this uh, and is perturbed by this issue as you should be, um, I don't know, look up your local food bank and stuff like that and try to get the word out. Cause like there are, um, I can only speak for us being in Chicago right now. Um, there are in a big city like this, a lot of resources for people that, um, maybe can't get access or can't afford high quality food that there's typically like food banks and things like that that you can, you can turn to. So, yeah, I think it's that. And I think learning to be empathetic with those communities versus, well, I don't know, just like I, I, I would love to learn how to come alongside those communities and help them to, and build up those resources for themselves versus like just having to leave in order to make a better life. Like I'll have to, there was an Atlantic article that I found that was pretty good. I'll have to send your way. It's been a while. I can't quote much of it. So I don't remember, but they just talked about, you know, what those folks have to look up to and how the manufacturing jobs have left those areas. And now have made those areas in Chicago, even more depressed um, for particularly the African-American community. But, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. That, and not to mention all like the small towns. I mean, like I took a, the Amtrak to, St. Louis um, a couple months ago and passing through all of those like sad dilapidated towns in Illinois like how do those people get care money? yeah yeah I mean if you as a dentist for example want to make the most money 
you really need to go to one of those towns. You can make almost twofold what you would make in a big city, which is counterintuitive, but it's the truth. Because there's just not enough demand or not enough supply of dentists. Not enough supply. That's exactly it. And um, a lot of the folks that come into that clinic in Alton, I mean, Alton is kind of like a mini metropolitan area for a lot of very rural communities. And um, they come in, you know, from three hours away into deep southern Illinois. Yeah, in all seriousness. They'll drive in to get this discounted health care. And it's because they... I, from the impression I get, you know, secondhand, it seems like these, and this isn't all of them, mine, but like, you know, my mom went down and got a bridge because it was discounted and like, you know, the faculty there is great, but like, it's a lot of communities that you just don't realize, like, don't have access to what you have in a big city. That's crazy. Um, yeah, that blows my mind that people are driving three hours to get affordable dental care. Yeah. It, count your blessings, man. Yeah. They're, they're, well, yeah. Yeah, there's so many problems, man. There's so many. And that's just in America, which is like, we have really good problems for the most part. Like, we're doing pretty well. Yep. Relatively speaking to other parts of the world. Yeah, but there, I mean, there's still, like, I, I volunteer in East St. Louis and, um, you know, I'm just learning a little bit more about that community, similar to the south side of Chicago. And there's zip codes that the average mortality or age of death, I forget what the exact metric is called, but for adult men is 38. Wow. And just, uh, yeah. I mean, in, instead of rehabbing buildings that they have down there, they're like the main prerogative for the government is like to knock down empty buildings. So people aren't just like hanging out and vegging out. Them. Yeah. yeah. Which that is a problem I never thought I would have to ever face. Just, I mean, it was like, you know, my family can't afford to upgrade the car this year. And right. they're like, we have to keep the car for another five years. And fix, I mean, I don't know. Those are much less problems than like, what other folks are dealing with. Yeah. I think it's important to practice gratitude. Yeah. As often, as often as possible. Um, because yeah, man, there's just some people that have it. A lot worse. Yeah. But anyway, um, is the next song touch sensitive? Yeah. The next song is yeah. Comfortable by them. Yeah. Um, so touch sensitive is another one that I found, um, kind of was introduced to a lot of this, genre of music that I've kind of fallen into through this indie tronica exploration, if you will. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the pop punk, not pop punk, I'd say indie pop or synth pop that I've been introduced to, like Fickle Friends. There's a couple bands that we're not going to cover, like Great Good Find Okay, St. Lucia, I think a lot of people have heard of. Has heard of. Um, but nonetheless, it's been remixes of their songs of different EDM artists that have done. And I'm like, oh, I love that. Wait, what's the original? And then I dig in and I, I love what they're doing. Um, but this is one of those guys. He's a DJ out of Australia. He's come, he's just barely starting to come to the U S. Um, and he really only has a name over there from what I can tell, but, uh, a lot of great songs like lay down is like probably his biggest one. Teen idols is another one. That's like not is a little lesser known listeners. If you're looking for something else, check that one out. But this one I found was a little more interesting and just decided to pick this one, but it's, it, it's cool. I like the chorus the most. Um, but yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I was say, I, my notes say chorus is catchy, but do you actually like, do you like his voice? No. Okay. I didn't either. I don't know. It's some other guy that's featured on it, and that would be my one complaint. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if he just had a little bit of coaching, I would, I would prefer that. But I was trying to pick this song versus some of the other songs he had just because it was a little different. Mm-hmm. And, and there, it wasn't just like another um, song, kind of similar to the last one we just listened to. But Pizza Guy... If Stranger Things is looking for some fight theme song, <laughs> like, 
it would fit the mold. We could even do that one if you want instead of this one. No, but, let's do comfortable. Let's do comfortable. Yeah, but, but his, his voice isn't great, but I wasn't going to this kind of music for vocals. That's more a couple others later. Cool. All right, let's jump into it. This is a song called Comfortable by Touch Sensitive. Don't you worry about it. Don't you ever doubt it. Feeling fine about it. Make sure it's song. Don't you worry about it. See the moment shine. Feeling fine about it. Comfortable love. Don't you worry about it. Don't you ever doubt it. Feeling fine about it. Make sure it's song. Don't you worry about it. See the moment shine. Feeling fine about it. You know, I just want you to come to me. Call me lazy, you know, I'm just insecure. If you're my baby, oh, then I know I should not even feel this way. But in these times, I cannot ever be so sure. Someone like you, make it feel so Maybe I'm a little lazy sensitive um yeah like i said another thick bass song yeah you would like him he i think he's the bass player in most of this okay yeah i'll have to dive in what's the one what's pizza something what's the name of it pizza guy literally pizza just that. <laughs> <laughs> um that song there's another one that's just flat out funny the vocals in it it's just like um 
it talks about like it's the guy and a girl and it's like this one really simple track and it's like the guy's like am i the one you wanted to fuck all the time and a girl's like yes baby and then they just go back it's kind of funny it's called veronica is the name of the song cool um not that i can't i don't take my music seriously but i i like the groove that he creates and some of his new he just put out an ep with like four songs that he recorded in la um but i like you know, music is an emotional experience for me, and it's less about the words, mm-hmm. which it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, so then I don't, I don't really listen to what what they're saying. I just I'm like I get into the groove, or I get into the like what they're creating. Um, so that's why I like touch sensitive. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna have to dive in a little bit more. I'm curious. He was my most listened to artist last year or this year. Oh, interesting. And how? Maybe pardon me if you already touched on this, but how did you come across his music? I think it was just the same. I, most of my discovery comes from. A little bit my brother, but a lot of it will end up being just Spotify radio. But then it's, you know, that could change so much based right. on what you pick. So I think it, it'll be like, oh, I love this song. This is like embodying like, you know, a new, like new bit of taste that I was interested in. So then it'll take me and it kind of becomes a stepping stone. I think with the past two years, it started with Bombay Bicycle Club. And they've got like a bit of an electronic thing, like a little, little bit. And then I think I've just slowly pivoted into, you know, Fickle Friends, which we're about to listen to, and then people like Touch Sensitive or like Funk Mana. Do you like Snail Mail? You listen to Snail Mail? No. Oh, okay. Never mind. It's kind of... I thought you were talking about being pen pals or something. We can be, though. Yeah. Well, I did write... I, I started the chain, so now you're going to have to return it. Oh, wow. I did write you a yeah, letter, yeah. so... Um, but Is it the same if I handwrite it, but then scan it and like text it to you? Oh, that's interesting. Good question. That would actually be way more efficient, because I hate going to get stamps and stuff. Oh, it's stupid. It's well, just, it's not stupid. Oh, yeah. But I, don't, I think there's something cool about like getting the physical feeling it, you know? Yeah, that's why people like vinyl so much. I don't know. I haven't gotten into it, but um, I get it. I feel like you haven't gotten, I feel like you're like primed to become, there's going to be a vinyl stage. Uh, I do. Well, I, I don't use it ever, but I did inherit this 1952 Grundig mid mod radio from my grandmother. It's okay. been in the family for a long time and it's like great condition. Um, You'll have to check it out, you is, know, when is, I move back it, up. Does it have a vinyl player on it? Yeah. A record player on it? Yeah. And, and, a, and it, like it can tune into like AF, AF, FM and AM? Yep. I guess back in the day, Grundig was known for having the sound for back when people listened to radio a lot. Uh, most authentic sound. It would uh, play human voice and make it sound super authentic. Still original wiring, still original speakers. It's it's pretty cool. Cool. It's kind of like a timepiece anytime you turn it on. massive? Yeah. I mean, it's like a cabinet. Wow. It's like picture your desk. So for listeners, like three and a half feet wide by three feet, four feet tall. Not four feet tall. That's really probably weighs big. a fucking ton, huh? Yeah, it does. But you, do you have it at your place now? Yeah, in St. Louis, Antigua. Oh, that's cool. Do you use it pretty often? No. no. It just looks pretty more than it looks anything. looks cool. I mean, when you have like Chromecast shit everywhere, like I'll probably invest in a nice, you know, nice modern thing mm-hmm. at some point. But um, But yeah, when you have that stuff and you can just with a click turn something on, it's hard. I don't know. It's hard to move away from that. Yeah, it's true. I guess it's like one of those things. There's, I want to get a record player. At, hopefully, Santa brings me one. Come up soon here. But uh, if you sing him a song, maybe he'll be good to you. Like I, Santa, I, I've been singing him songs. So. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. don't worry. <laughs> For what Rest it's worth, uh, Crosley, a friend of mine that is into vinyls, he was saying the Crosley play, uh, turntables that Urban Outfitter sells and become kind of popular. I guess um, the enthusiasts will say that those actually can ruin some vinyls. Oh, they're, they're, they're rough on them. I don't know. I've never looked into it. Easy. Do I under, yeah. No, do, you're I, good. do I understand why that's the case? No, but I just. Gotcha. You know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. But 
I kind of want to get into it because I think it'd be, it's like a cool thing. Like you, you mentioned, like, I don't have a TV here in the Big G's Pizza Studio on Fullerton, home of Chicago's best mac and cheese pizza. But I think it'd be cool to like have friends over and put on some vinyl and stuff. Yeah. And, um, I think there's just something cool about the, yeah. the human element. Of yeah, it. I mean, I've started to buy vinyls um, for like albums or like artists this. that have been impactful. Mm-hmm. So like Fickle Friends is one I've been listening to for a couple of years. Um, but there's others that are have been more impactful for me. Um, Mumford and Sons, Rage Against the Machine, you know, I'm... What's your favorite Rage album? Do you like the original or do you like Evil Empire better? Um, I like Battle of Los Angeles, probably. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So, and this is me, you know, emotion is like how I'm experiencing music or like how an album Sleep caught me. Sleep now in the fire. That's the, that one's on that, right? Yeah. Um, and in, in mine, this was like 10 years ago when I listened to them actively, but... um. I mean, I would, in that band, I played Bulls on Parade. I could play Killing in the Name. And, like, I <clears throat> got into Tom Morello's stuff. But Do you know who Denzel Curry is? Nope. He's a rapper. He did, uh, have you ever heard of Like a Version? It's hmm, this Aus- It's um, Triple J in Australia. It's this, the their, it's like their big national radio station. Hmm. And they, every Friday, they'll have in artists and they'll do covers. Um, so, they, hmm. they've had, like, Childish Gambino on. Oh, cool. They've had... Um, What's his name? What's that band? Arctic Monkeys have come on. Oh, cool. Okay. They've covered like Tame Impala and stuff. Oh, cool. But they had Denzel Curry's this rapper and he came in with a full band and they, they covered Bulls on Parade. It's fucking sick. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I'm surprised more rappers haven't uh, tried to cover Zach Taylor Rocha. Roca. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but lead singer there. Yeah. He tried to do some offshoot thing, like something with a lion is the. Yeah. Like two days as a lion or something. Yeah. Like that, something I, like. I wasn't a huge fan where like Tom Morello killed it with Audio Slave, but. Yeah, and Street Sweeper Social Club, if you ever listened to them. Oh, no, I haven't. They, they do a very fun cover of uh, the, I fly like paper, get high like planes. Oh, yeah, MIA, MIA, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They do a fun little cover of that. Okay. Um, But what was I going to... Oh, yeah, one thing we were talking about during the last song that I think is worth bringing up, because we're both fans of this band, John Frusciante is back in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's amazing. I, I remember watching him as like a little teenager... Uh, I went to a concert when they were still touring for Stadium Arcadium. And Hell yeah. um, I was able to get eighth row seats. Wow. But it was off to the side. So I got to see the back of his head or like the back, you know. Where did they play? United Center? Yeah, the United Center in Chicago. And um, it was like discount seats because you're at the side. But I would always brag to my friends I could throw a penny at his head from <laughs> where I was sitting. For whatever that's worth. <laughs> that's wild, man. Yeah. Um, Flea went nuts, but. He he's still does. Uh, yeah, he's got to be on something, man. The way he still is, like to this day, just letting it rip. Watch him be like vegan and just like that's that's my energy, bro. Like, the, oh god, the world doesn't need that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kale. No. Yeah, I was thinking of something a little bit more nefarious, but yeah, I, I know you were. Um, just... But you know, shout out to Flea. <laughs> Maybe I mean, uh, have you ever read Scar Tissue, the book? No. I would recommend it. It's Anthony Kiedis's biography. Yeah. That's the lead singer, right? Yeah, that's yeah. his singer. But he's like best. Him and Flea have been best friends since they were, you know, teenagers. Um, so Flea is, plays a, obviously a very large role in in the biography. Um, but it was written, I think, before Stadium Arcadium came out, and it's oh, still cool. four hundred pages of just fucking insanity. Yeah, I remember here. Maybe that's where the story of him like doing a a dive into a pool and like missing the pool. Yep, they talk about that. In the yeah, book. yeah, and he like broke his back or something nuts. Almost died. Yep. Almost did die. That's one of the many stories that are just absolutely Yikes. ludicrous. Um, I mean, are they like Rolling Stones crazy? Or I don't even know if that's crazy. Like Motley Crue style? Yeah. Some of them. Yeah, there's a there's a period where they definitely they go through the rock star phase in the 90s. And I mean, 
Weren't they like big into heroin and some stuff like that? I don't know. I don't know if Flea ever was, but yeah. So the album I have here that I mentioned, shout out to my buddy Michael Sharif. He's the one who gifted it to me. Uh, The Uplift Mofo Party Plan is a, I believe, the third or fourth record that the Red Hot Chili Peppers made. And uh, the guitarist in that the band, Hillel Slovak, actually overdosed on heroin. Mm. Um, Anthony, and that's what the song "Fight Like a Brave," which is the first song on the album, is about. Anthony Kiedis like fighting his heroin addiction oh man and so he actually was and you can read about this in the book he was sober from i think 1988 until 1995 or 96 and he was completely off of drugs everything but even alcohol i think so yeah i think he was completely and totally sober and to this day he still is but he had a brief relapse for a couple of years um and this is very interesting i think this uh, will be even more especially where, what is it that sound coming oh, fuck, sorry. is it your phone yeah on the stand that's holding the microphone oh you're good um, but he had a brief relapse because he went to go get a tooth extracted and they gave him NO oh no and he remembered what it was like to get high again and then he just relapsed for like two and years and that's it's hard to get out of that like you need that kind of drug to for some of the shit that dentists have to do i, I guess i know sort of firsthand secondhand whatever but. right yeah because your your wife is uh gonna be a dentist very soon here yeah in six months that's I mean, awesome assuming she passes everything and doesn't flunk out in six months well we'll knock, knock on, on wood. wood uh shout out to ryan if you're listening yeah i'm gonna you're make you listen what's that i'm gonna make her listen okay perfect <laughs> um but yeah so then so their story is just absolutely insane. But yeah. So I would recommend to anyone read the book Scar Tissue. It's a very engaging read. I read it in high school. Um, I, yeah, I would they, like to reread it. They were hugely, I mean, they impacted so many people, but definitely had a huge impact on my taste. I think, you know, like we were talking during the break there, their funk influence as well as Rage Against the Machine and some other bands that were very funk heavy uh, definitely have like made an implant in my taste. And I still look for those overtones and everything I listen to today think that led into daft punk and some other similar artists but, mm-hmm. but yeah yeah I, I love bands like chili peppers or rage against the machine or um i don't know uh, those are the two at least that come to mind right now well a lot of ska are... bands i don't maybe this is a stretch because usually people would say it's like jazz rock and reggae is like or punk jazz punk and, and reggae is the influence for for ska but i'd say there's some funk overtones to that would be my guess i'd have yeah. to really think about it but you ever listen to fishbone they're like one of the Ooh. original second wave ska bands oh second wave i haven't gotten in second wave much well so yeah because what like real big fish is that that's all third wave yeah yeah so them after i don't know if someone some academic has called out a fourth wave yet or not but um i don't think there is a we can start the we should start a ska band yeah we should and we should have i would a, love to start a ska band with you what would make it fourth wave um i don't know we'd have to throw in like uh auto-tune and um maybe it's just redoing streetlight and like all those bands but with autotune and t-pain style vocals that's it yep that's a huge that's a good start and then also um steel drums yes yeah steel drums are hot at least they were like tropical house that was big like four years ago tropical house interesting oh yeah oh okay i feel like i've heard that before what if you added a banjo instead of a i'm just trying to think of the crazy shit spitball no spitball away yeah banjo instead of um, but, but you have to do the same up upstroke on a banjo, on a, on a banjo <laughs> or a mandolin. Uh, yeah. And then, um, what would be the replacement for a bass, but be kind of disgusting? Um, the tuba. How about just an acapella bass? Just a tune. <laughs> just this <laughs> hodgepodge. People would actually go, probably go crazy for that because it would be people would just love it because it was different. 
Yeah, they would. And and I think the requirement that I would make is you have to be 17 or under um, if you're like singing bass for them. So then there's a little bit of cracking that goes into it. Oh, uh, okay. I thought you meant like the fans can only be 17 or under. <laughs> they probably will be. No, or I don't know. They'll live in neighborhoods like Logan Square. But Right. Yeah, what would we name it? Um, well, it's fourth wave. So oh, let's, let's, we can brainstorm here. Um, <laughs> purple, purple ketchup. <laughs> I don't know. That's the first thing that comes up. I can't even. There's just so many things going through my mind with this interesting music we're creating. Um, yeah. Well, we'll take this discussion offline, as <laughs> yeah. they say. But I think we're on to something. I think, I think we're yeah. getting somewhere with a this. A great way to lose money. Yeah. <laughs> A great way, just yeah, a dumpster fire of cash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, if, uh, you know, Mark Cuban. If you just want to have like a bad investment, we've yeah, if you're just looking for, for a write off. Yeah, I mean, we've got one for you. My phone number is on my website, so you know how to find me, Mark. I know you watch. I know you read my blog. I know you listen to the show. Just you know where to find us, man. Yeah. Also, come on the show already, Mark. I know you you email me about this all the time. <laughs> I tell you, you can come on whenever you want, and you keep blowing me off. So stop standing me up, Mark. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah, you'll see me on Shark Tank 2020. Yeah. Me, me and Dirk, we're going to be there. Fourth Wave Sky Band. Coming at you live. What's your revenue model? Nothing. Pizza. That's it. We're also it's going to create a pizzeria. Not to compete with Big G's. Can, can it be Mac and Cheese Pizza? Can that be the name of the band that we start? I like it. I like where your head's <laughs> at. We'll get a sponsorship. I already know a guy. So, Is it Big G's? Could be. Sh- sh- don't, don't. You're just... Come on, man. You're just like letting all oh, of my sorry, connections sorry. out of the open. All these other fourth wave, fourth wave wannabe ska bands are going to steal our formula, our yeah. secret sauce, Dirk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, we're going off the rails here. Let's keep it moving with another <laughs> song. Uh, do you want to play the uh, Fickle Friend song? Yeah, that'd be great. So um, Crybaby is the name of it? Yep. And this is a key example of a song of how their remix, I think it's H-O-N-N-E, Hone, did a remix of theirs. And I, that's how I found the original. Well, the first edit of this song I found, and then it was Crybaby. Um, and I, I just liked it because it, it was an extension from some of the indie music that I was listening to and got into this synth pop kind of, you know, and I think Indietronica is really just like indie music with a heavy synth influence because when you listen to that kind of EDM, it's not like the the Zeds of the world or like Skrillex of the world. It's more just really electronic music. So um, I really like Fickle Friends. I like strong female vocals um, and I like a lot of their riffs. This is just my favorite song of theirs. So that's why I picked this one. Cool. Well, I have not heard this one yet. This was a late edition, so I'm looking forward to listening to it. It's a song called Cry Baby by Fickle Friends. Oh, 
Why do we all get it wrong? You were right all along. I'm a cry baby. Do you cry baby? Oh, I'm not where I belong. I don't know what you're on. I'm a cry baby. Do you cry baby? Baby by Fickle Friends. So the original song, Vanilla, was the one you were going to play. What made you want to uh, switch last second? I think just I like I like this song way more, and it was what got me into them in the first place. Mm. So Stay I like your roots. Mm-hmm. Um, that Vanilla was like on my most played songs in in 2019, and it's the first one I saw, and I was like, boom, love it, and because I, I like a lot of their stuff. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I just Cry Baby was one I. I listened to originally and liked it a lot i really like her voice i did too it reminds me uh and maybe this is a very sophomoric comparison but it kind of reminded me of ellie golding to a certain extent yeah, yeah. But then i looked and i'm like oh they're both british yeah so that was that's probably what it is yeah yeah and they don't get I, at least when i look at their tour schedules they don't seem to get out of britain too much mm. um but yeah they're a great band I, they seem like i don't know hopefully they make it i hope they don't get too poppy and then like lose what they have but i'm kind of in a poppy probably one of the more poppy um seasons of my musical life if you will probably acapella had a big part to play in that because so much of it is pop music related but, mm-hmm. but yeah. well i'm looking at their spotify they only have three hundred thousand monthly listeners which is um pretty small so they're still on the up they're still yeah. on the up and up so um we can certainly only hope to continue their rise so that you can come see them when they yeah. Come to America eventually. Yeah. Certainly only hope. Um, how'd you find them again? You said through the, uh, uh, you found one of the remixes or something? Yeah. Um, so if you look in their discography, it's like towards the bottom. Um, but yeah, it was one of those songs. And then, uh, yeah, there's a lot of other bands that are kind of similar that I've really enjoyed. So like I was talking with you before about Ralph. Um, she is uh, another female artist that's got a lot of songs. Um, similar vibe, heavy bass, kind of funky undertones but then uh, i've also listened to like floor f-l-o-r yeah i've actually seen them live oh really they good yeah they have the song hold on right yeah 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 they saw them, they played at riot fest one year oh did they they were really fun live good okay their, i'll have to check them out front man um is got a lot of really good energy really in okay a, in a live setting hmm. cool yeah. yeah yeah but i think them saint saint lucia walk the moon i have been they're one of that's one of the bigger name bands i've gotten into i've seen them. they're pretty good live too are they still making music yeah they okay. just put out an album i don't like it as much as their previous one um forget the names that of guy them, had the worst haircut ever yeah he's still got a mullet i think yeah um, what's up with that great great voice though i mean great tenor but um yeah i don't know if i'd ever condone a mullet i don't know i'm all about edginess but mullets think they could stay with the 80s yeah or like small town america yeah. I know numerous people firsthand who have mullets, not ironically. Um, I had a friend 
who went to a small town school and mullets became a thing just at their university. It was like university of 1500 people. What school? Um, I don't want to identify. Oh, this you don't want to out them right now? Yeah. You tell me. I, okay. I love this guy and you know, he's a great dude, but uh, there's nothing wrong with mullets. I mean, oh no. And, and I think he would laugh at himself, sure but yeah, we're saying there. Did is, he have a mullet? It, it kind of, <laughs> it just, the mullet takes over. Well, like picture like a normal dude's haircut for like, you know, the 2019, like 20 teens or whatever we're calling this decade. But then the back, it's like great clips just never cut the back of his hair. Oh yeah. Like the undercut where it just like whoosh, kept going. Back. Well, it didn't like, you know, not banker. Like I've got a long, long bangs and I comb them back, but like normal. And then just the back, like from top of your head down, just kept growing. It's like, they just stopped three fourths of the way through. Yeah, like if, if, you know, the rest of your head was like a four and a five, but then that was like a 15. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. Not a problem I'll ever have again. Yeah. So I'm not I mean, one day I'm on that ro- road. Maybe I'll be. What? The mullet road? No, the baldness road. Bald? Nah, you got you still got some cabbage, man. You still got at least five years left. Yeah, maybe we'll see. At least. You on the road? Do you use Rogaine? You yeah. don't have to talk about it. Oh, you do? Yeah. I mean, I, I, so many men deal with it. I feel like it's nothing yeah. you should be ashamed of. That and finasteride. Um, yeah. There's is it some, the pill? Yeah. Is that like Propecia? Yeah, that, that is what it is. That's just the drug name of it. But um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it, like, I used to think it was a fertility issue that goes along with it, but I guess not. Like, if, you know, if you have problems, like, you're the small group of men that do, then you just stop taking it and it all goes away. There's oh, no permanent okay. damage. So I was like, well, fuck. No me. side effects? Yeah. That's good. Uh, well, like, for that same group, it's like lower libido. Oh, interesting. But it wasn't affecting me, so, you know, whatever. We're Let getting personal on this show, but... Dude, we're letting it rip, dude. We, yeah. we talk about Maybe a man's hair. Maybe we should clip hair. that part, because if I show this to friends... Well, I don't know. I don't give a shit. But no, man. This is free-flowing conversation. We don't cut anything here. We fucking play everything, Dirk. Well, that's not true. I had to cut one one time. I'll tell you about that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Things got really weird on one of the interviews. Someone just started rambling about some story that... Number one, had nothing to do with the rest of the show. And number two was like borderline offensive. <laughs> so, yeah, while it's in, you know, the comfort of a single room, it's not right. We just build this bubble and then I get you nice and comfortable. In that case, I think we were a little liquored up. So that that doesn't always help things. But there's a lot of ears on this metaphorical bubble. So, right, right. Fair enough. Um, so, what do you, you know? Mark Cuban's listening. Uh, yeah, well, actually, I, I, if I'm going to spill, show all my cards here, uh, so does Damon John uh, in a parallel universe. He's a big fan of the Five Songs with Friends. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who's that? Uh, the, another guy from Shark Tank. Oh, okay. play, oh, oh You're supposed oh, okay. to play along. Play along. Dude, I didn't know his name. Sorry. Yeah. The guy from He Invented Fubu. The... Oh, that dude. Yeah. Definitely know who he is. Just didn't know his name. Yeah. Damon John. It's always cool when people have the last name that is a first name. You know what I mean? Yeah. We would be a really have... awkward first name as the last name. What would be a really awkward one? Well, maybe just Mike. Hey, I'm John Mike. I bet there are some, there's someone named John Mike somewhere. We'll look him up. Yeah, I can't think of ones that actually sound bad because also because it's probably someone's name. Right. Well, let's just we're gonna right turn on this F transition. Yeah. F transition. <laughs> Speaking of getting off topic. Well, what do you do? For, what do you do for fun in Alton, Illinois? Uh, tell people about Alton, Illinois. So Alton, Illinois is a northern suburb of uh, St. Louis. It's a little industrial town right on the river. Um, And back in the 60s and 70s, it was a sizable town. Um, There's a lot of manufacturing in the area. Um, So there's like 60,000, 70,000 people that lived in the area or something like that. It's quite big. Now it's down about 30 because all this manufacturing has left. 
used to be the main glass making area of the world, I guess. At least that's of what the lo- world. Yeah. yeah, that's what locals tell me. A lot of um, like Winchester plants were down there. I, I, and this is all, I mean, like someone could fact check me. Yeah. Like a lot, someone could fact check me and say I was full of shit because I'm just, this is from a friend that was telling me, so I don't know. But Winchester bullets, some army boots were made down there. There's still a lot of, there's still a steel plant there. Well, that would make sense because everything was shipped on the, the Mississippi, river. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, fun fact, it's the place uh, before the dams were put in. It's the farthest inland that they found a bull shark. It was all in Illinois. No joke. Because really? a bull shark swam all the way up from freaking New Orleans. Up there. Wow. Yeah. Up against the current. Yeah. I mean, hey, you know. Bet it probably ate like a king, though, up there. I'm sure. Well, I, the, the Mississippi, I guess, at its deepest point is like 150 feet deep or something nuts. You never think it. But, like, nonetheless. Shit, all, yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. It's also gross. No one swims in it um, because of the pesticides and all that that come in from all the farmland. Nonetheless, it's a beautiful little town if you're, like, need a place to grab lunch on your way to St. Louis. Because it is, it, there are gorgeous views of the river and cliffs, and I guess there's bald eagles and shit. And being a Midwesterner, I never thought I'd saw that, see that in the Midwest. Um, but there's also hills, literally, that mimic parts of San, San Francisco mm. in Alton. No joke. And it's because of the river, mm. like thousands of years ago, just whatever, River Valley. I didn't know Illinois had hills. Oh, yeah. Like, not 45-degree angle, because that's quite steep. But I'd say, like... Maybe thirty degree angle hills or like thirty five. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a human protractor, but right. But yeah, You're I not? mean, no, I'm not. Oh, and I'm pretty square, but I'm not that square. Gotcha. Or really, that's semicircle. Yeah, I we just did a little air uh, rim yeah. shot for you. Yeah, we're hilarious. I know. We're killing it today. <laughs> we, we've we've laughed like three times today. Yeah, we have. So that's big. Um, but nonetheless, Alton's a cute, cool little town. I think there's a lot of people that are trying to invest in it and like uh, revitalize it, but. What I do for fun, a lot of it's just uh, kind of relaxing. You know, being two years into my marriage, I think for me, I was a so- uh, socialite of sorts, I guess. Someone who just, you know, loved to bop around and explore Chicago. Oh, yeah. Um, at least I can only speak for college. You were a very actively social person. I don't think you had really, like, really had more than 10 minutes to yourself, it seemed like, in college. Yeah. Now, it's been the polar opposite, which when I'm not doing some explicit trip with Ryan, like, I'm just getting used to being at home. Mm-hmm. which is, I think is a really healthy thing for me. And, you know, I don't think I'm going to be vegging out forever, but, you know, we're going to come back up here. And, and I think it's been good. You know, we'll um, still go out, do things in St. Louis. St. Louis is a surprisingly pretty – I really like it, honestly. You know, if I had to live there for another couple of years, I really wouldn't complain because um, I think it's a nice, you know, bite-sized version of Chicago. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, just a lot of vegging, a lot of eating out. We love, we're big foodies. Mm. Um, there's a coffee shop down there. Shout out to Post Commons that honestly is better than most coffee shops I've been to in Wicker Park. I mean, damn, shots I, fired. At and Wicker I Park. mean that the quality of uh, coffee there is like, I mean, and now I'm, this is coming from a snob, but it's great. Um, they know what they're doing, um, and they are a nonprofit that's trying to invest in local businesses. So they're awesome. Oh, was that the one you're telling me they're trying to do like a incubator in the basement or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually a former pastor that I later found out about. He's trying to just, you know, love on a community instead of being a pulpit preacher. And, you know, there's a whole other can of worms I could get into on his his story. Um, but yeah, cool things. Nice. Yeah. It seems like every time I drive through Alton, which isn't very often, but when I do, it just seems like a very quaint little community for the most part. Very much so on the friend, you know, a lot of people in a lot of art, uh, articles or news publications will talk about how, um, 
you know, it's the rural urban divide in America today. It's absolutely a community that's on the fringe of that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very rural um, where like it's a lot of farm communities nearby, um, very much so embodies that kind of lifestyle. But then it's very diverse. I'd say I think it's like 40 or 50 percent minority last time I checked. And, um, you know, 100 years ago was competing somewhat something like that. 100 years ago was competing with St. Louis to be the, the regional city center. Mm. Um, even more so than like Greenville Greenville yeah isn't that place is that the nearby there isn't it I don't know I haven't heard of it maybe I I am maybe just talking out of my ass right now I mean I'm no encyclopedia I don't know but I mean if you look back at the history books around like the railroads it used to be the Chicago Alton Railroad um, because they bridges weren't as common but um, but yeah it's a cool little town sweet well happy that you're enjoying it but we're also happy that we're gonna sounds like hopefully get you back in Chicago very soon yeah um, so tell about the song called Destination. Is that the name of it? Yeah, yeah. So this is a big uh, pivot. Um, so I think like everyone, you know, it's not just one genre that you, you get into. Um, <clears throat> folk has been an interest of mine for a long time. I think it started like for many people with, when Mumford & Sons became big back in what well, must have been 2011-ish time frame. Um, I got into them and then I wanted more um, because, you know, I'm someone that's addicted to variety. So I started digging and I found a lot of these other bands. Um you know, and I was into Celtic music as a high schooler. You know, my dad just would play it in the background. He didn't, he wasn't really into music, but appreciated like the Dubliners and like different sorts of things. And I think it, in general, between Mumford and Sons, Celtic music, and then, you know, a slight interest in country slowly got me into indie folk. Um, That's what led you to Nickelback, right? No. Oh, what's the band this band? <laughs> Nickel Creek. Um, so this was actually, uh, well, uh, my teacher in high school introduced me to Nickel Creek at first when I was like trying to write a song. I wrote a Celtic song. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. To um, some poets lyrics. I've never been a lyricist, but I wrote a song, had um, five or eight different musicians cover it for me. It's a benefit of being at a bigger high school. Um, it was some violins, um, I think a guitarist, um, some vocals. Yeah. I don't know. It was a really Did you write cool. it on like sheets then? Yeah. Full sheet music. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. That, when I did a year of um, comp- composition in high school, I did shit like that. I ranged like um, uh, a couple goofy things I did. Uh, I That song, I don't want to work. I just want to bang. That one. Yeah, that's the song the Colts play every time they score a touchdown. Oh, well, I have a, a ska version of that if you ever need it for some reason. I might, yeah. <laughs> so I've only heard it in MIDI, so I have no idea if it's any good. But I wrote that. I wrote a couple other songs, like a choral song. I started a string quartet. Don't ask me why, but I did. Um, never finished it, but that was me as an 18 year old. That's what I did for fun. I was really cool. Damn. That's cool that you were creating that much art at such a young age. Yeah, man. I did it on finale. Um, so that's the music software that I invested in, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So I really got into it, but that was kind of the seed that was planted in my musical taste that then kind of slowly went into this indie folk genre, which includes a lot of different people and even some blues artists like um, uh, Lake Street Dive. I'd put them in more of like the blues category. Lone Bellow, um, amazing vocalists. Um, uh, so, so many other artists I could have pulled out. Punch Brothers is another thing that Chris Thiele is in. They've won a Grammy recently for Best Folk Artist or wow. Folk Album, I think it was. Punch Brothers sounds like a punk band. That's cool that they're a folk band. Oh, they're and, and they're just so technical. Um, like one of their songs, Familiarity, you need to listen to it at some point. It's a beautiful, it's like an eight minute song, but it's, it's beautiful. And just so, so much going on. Like I think as someone that's a geek in music, I look for depth 
like vertical depth is like real geeks would call it versus horizontal like horizontal would be like you know the melody or how something flows and that's like a lot of music today there's like really catchy melody but then there's not a lot of depth so like if you listen to a lot of pop music you won't some you won't even hear a chord progression the bass catchy beat and catchy vocalist and maybe some other sound effects and that's it but like punch brothers i love it because there's just so much going on like they're banjo players it's not just like some other bluegrass band it's like Oh, and that song in particular, I just, I love it. They feed off of each other. You hear little motifs, as they call it, or like little musical ideas that form and, and come in in different ways. And I just, I love it. So maybe we should play that, but it's a long song. But I chose this one because it's upbeat and it'll feed into our last song, which is an acapella cover that I really like by Haim. I think I'm saying that right. H-A-I-M. They're, they're a bigger name indie band, nonetheless. Um, I really like it. Um, it's Chris Thiele, um, and I think his brother and sister. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, looking looking on uh, their bio, it looks like his sister is the one singing. Yeah, yeah. Because they have an incredible harmonization on the song. Oh, it's it's beautiful, and you'll notice like I don't when he sings, I don't notice much vibrato. A what? Vibrato. What's that? Oh, I mean, uh, I'm going to butcher it after like walking out in the cold, but like, you know, when a singer sings a tone and then it flutters. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's vibrato. Kind of like in, uh, what's that one song, Ophelia? Uh, it rings a bell. I, by Lumineers. There's like a really iconic oh, part I, in the song oh, where I, he pushes it. It's kind of like when you're kind of at the edge of your range, kind of. Well, it's not necessarily, I mean, it's often high notes because that's like a showy note for a vocalist, but mm-hmm. it can be in any part of your range. Um, and it's like, Technically speaking, it's like the slightest modulation. Mm-hmm. But like in some people, when they sing, it's actually just natural. It just happens for them. But like, if like you... Post Malone, he just kind of sounds like a sheep, though. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a little bit exaggerated. Bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, but in some people it's natural. But I, I almost appreciate it because then it's just about I don't know. Not that it's just about the music when you do it that way, but I just appreciate Chris Thiele's choice in doing it that way. Um, so we'll take a listen. I think there's. It just, it's parts of, aspects of folk that, that really come out in this song that I love. Just really multiple string instruments, really strong vocals that aren't overly twangy, but just have a hint of it. Um, that just, I, I don't know, I really enjoy. And if honestly, if I ever really thought about writing music, it would be this genre of music. Because I think my voice, when I sing, fits folk best. And I also just think I'm, I, I, ideas could flow into this the best. Cool. Well, let's play it. Let's give people a taste. This is a song called Destination by Nickel Creek, not to be confused with Nickelback. You don't owe me one more minute of your wasted time. You act like it's all fine. But all the years I gave you, thinking you knew that you wanted me. I wanted to
Destination by Nickel Creek. Yeah, I'm I'm just blown away by their ability to harmonize and also the violin outro. I thought was really yeah um, up there. The outro in general was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Just the pure. I was as we were talking as the song was playing. I have a great appreciation for like the purity of their voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Chris Thiele, and I don't know if this is going to be right but i'm going to say it because it's what came to mind you know i like ella fitzgerald like most people and you know some of his songs whether it's in nickel creek or in like punch brothers or some other stuff he's done there's just like a brassy kind of resonance that i hear like a jazz influence there and it just and it's without vibrato and it just you just focus on a different part of someone's technique and i just have a great appreciation for it um yes definitely he's someone if you have like a saturday or just want to veg out on just something brand new. Anything with his name tacked onto it is worthwhile. Mm. Um, McGregor Strong scholar. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just a great artist in general. And it seems, from what I've heard through the grapevine, a genuine guy. Um, but, you know, that's all hearsay. Right. That's so cool, man. Well, so you mentioned that you used to write music and stuff, and you'd write it in MIDI uh, or whatever, like... Um, Cheat music, but yeah. How did you... Yeah, how do you... Where does one start? Like, do you come up with, like, a riff or something, or... How did you, what's your songwriting process? What did it look like? So mine, this was 10 years ago and I don't really do it much anymore. So I think it depends on what you want to write. Cause you know, I, I think it's best to have a music theory background where you understand different elements of music theory. And that's as simple as understanding clefs, um, but also understanding what you're writing for. Like, you know, singers is my background. So I'll just use that as an example. Like, you know, you have to know an alto. An alto is a lower female voice. You have to know what an alto is comfortable singing in. So, you know, if you they've got a two octave or octave and a half range or whatever it might be, you don't want to write most of their part in the top part of their range. They're just not going to be comfortable. Or in the bottom part, they're also not going to be comfortable and you're not going to get a lot of volume out of them. So that's in a, it's all kind of a complex puzzle you have to, to fill. So there's that. There's... Um, let me see, like, what would be the best amount of detail to cover? Because well, there's do you so many different the, things. How do you but, find the melody? Um, so finding the melody often is just, um, it can be ideas that come into your head. Like, I, I mean, everyone's got ideas or is creative to a certain degree. And they've got, like, little random things that come in your head. Like, you know, in business worlds, it's all about, you know, sticky noting or whiteboarding or, you know, whatever. It's like throw anything out there that, like, might be a good idea. And 80% of them might be shit. And then 20% of them might be worth talking about. Same thing with music. I mean... 
you know, I think a lot of it comes from listening to different types of things, you know, and at the time, you know, this was a kid coming from listening to ska and funk metal, you know, like System of a Down and, and Rage Against the Machine, but then listening to like the Toasters and Planet Smashers and Streetlight. And I listened to this folk music, like, where the hell did this come from? And it's mm-hmm. just like a lot of ideas started popping out. So like through inspiration, different things can come out and just through having some kind of proficiency on an instrument is critical. I'd say if you want to write, knowing piano is by far the easiest way to do it. And knowing it in and out where you have knowledge of a bass clef and a treble clef and just that gives you, it helps you to see a bigger picture view because like you two things going on and you can kind of see like as a piano player, just more than just like a trumpet player, you're just, you only can play one note at a time or like other instruments or a singer for that matter. But at its root, I'd say it's just about coming up with different ideas. And then depending on the type of music, you don't need that kind of knowledge <clears throat> that I could go a little deep on and others probably could do more justice, but you know, you don't have to know how to write sheet music. There's plenty of rock artists that don't and like that, and they create great music and you don't have to follow rigid rules that like classical music follows. But if you write more classical stuff, then there's a lot more rules you have to follow. There's like a list of 15 or 20 rules. I remember you can't break that I learned in music theory. So like parallel fifths, for example, if you have like, you know, two players, just let's say it's two vocalists, for, you know, and they sing in a fifth interval next to each other. Like I wish I had a piano I could show you. It sounds gross. So there's like a reason behind it and there's other rules to it, but, but yeah. So what do you mean to, so like the fifth of a is what D right? For instance? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm used to looking at a piano. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Actually, I'm not going to try to bake this out right now. So probably... D is A. So then I think actually that's a fourth, but I could be wrong. I have to look at a piano. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess. It's oh, also no, been yeah, five or ten years, so I don't no, know. No, you're right. I'm thinking the fifth of G is D. Yeah. That's... I'm just going to say yes. Okay. I'm anyway. Gonna I'm going to stop acting just, like I know what I'm talking about. Well, just count the notes up, basically. And I mean, yeah. So, but um, if you play them, that's like one sample of one of the rules you need to follow. And then, you know, another part of music theory is understanding, like, you know, how at the end of a musical phrase, like resting on the tonic or like, you know, if you're in the key of C, that's C. So if you end on it, then that creates a natural resolution. Right. The home base. Right. And then that feels like a solid closing or beginning of like another musical idea, which could be like another part of a song. But a lot of musical artists today, you'll hear like the fade out Mm -hmm. because they they don't either don't end on that or that just they they don't follow that rule, so to speak. They just fade it out mm. without ending the idea. Interesting. So it's like that in itself is almost like a, a tool to build tension within a song. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, there's so many little, like the one little, fl- um, I forgot what the name of these different things are, but like different musical movements. So like how you flutter around the tonic mm-hmm. of a chord. So like an appoggiatura is one of them. And I forget exactly how it goes. Um but basically, it's just showing like how you could avoid it. And like different classical songs will build tension by like never quite hitting that resolution point. Right. Um, just, yeah. Never quite hitting it. Just so close. Yeah. Yeah. But so far. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, that, that joke will be for us. Yeah. It and will us be. only. Um, I, I think we have some smart listeners that can infer. Well, we'll, we may never know. We may never know. But if you do get the joke, uh, Feel free to Venmo request me uh, if you've made it this far and uh, describe what the joke was. Venmo request. And I'll send you a dollar. <laughs> that there could be it. What if a lot of people Venmo request you? Well, Limit five people. How about that? Then, no. Unlimited. 
for the history of the show. So come on. Well, in. I'm just going to create random accounts and like just buy a bunch of burner phones and uh, get a lot of money. From <laughs> just rake in those dollars, man. <laughs> Google Voice, baby. Cool. Well, I look forward <laughs> to it. I applaud. I applaud anyone who goes through that effort. Um, but yeah, we got one more song left. Let's um, let's crank it out and then uh, we'll kind of wrap up the show from there. But this is an acapella song. Yeah, I Tell think about it, it. it's a good way. The conversation started talking about my acapella background, and I think this is a good close. This song, so I decided to go with SoCal Vocals. They're an acapella, collegiate acapella group out of USC, University of Southern California. And um, at least when I was in school, they were considered one of, if not the best collegiate group. Mm. Um, and they every year that they would compete in the ICCAs, that famous competition, um, they would often win. Wait, so did they like stop doing that competition or something? No, I've just noticed my group and some other bigger name groups that I was familiar with have like right now for some reason aren't going to it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why. I don't know if it's good reasoning or bad. I just, I don't know if it's the same popularity it used to have. It could just be people being like, well, I didn't score how I wanted to, so I'm going to go somewhere else because it's unfair. I don't know. Right. Or it could be legitimate. I, I really don't know. Um, but nonetheless, they this group was really good. Um, and for me, when I was going through acapella, I think I alluded it, I might have alluded to it before, but it's very common to do pop covers in acapella because that's, you know, what the crowd likes, you know, and, I mean, brings people in. But no one's really going to want to hear a cover of a no-name indie song. It's just like, you know, that's not the audience, it's not the target market, if you will. But being an indie lover and being a singer, it's kind of an odd combo. Like, usually it's people that like Mariah Carey or other R&B or, you know, that was a common thread in the group that I was singing in. But I really like this song because Haim, I think I'm saying that right, if I'm butchering it, feel free to make fun of me. But um, it was what I would consider an indie or an alternative group that I would go to like Lollapalooza and see and whatnot and really liked. And it caught me at a time when my dad was passing away. And um, for some reason, you know, not the lyrics or anything, but just them doing this song. And they have a music video that's kind of interesting. You know, it was, it was kind of like a cool, it's just something I went to just to kind of release for some reason. I don't know if there's a great reason why. I think I was just so impressed with the music video in particular that this college group had found, you know, USC is a big entertainment school. They put, there was like a high production value, like music video for the group. I mean, it's just like kids that are in college not making money from as far as I know off of this. And they didn't like kind of, you know, interesting theatrical outfits and it was just really well done. So I think for me, it was in part like I saw myself in the song. Um, and in, in their performance or like as if it was I wasn't that far out of reach from being able to do something like that. But it was also like something I connected with a little bit more. And, you know, for any singer, like they can relate to this idea that you know, when you're singing, like it's more, at least for me, I, I connected with it more than playing instruments where like your voice is you. It's, that's your instrument. And like when you're singing in a group, it just like resonates throughout you instead of an instrument. So I think instrumentalists will probably react differently, but at least for me, there's like a connection to singing that I always had. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Like I, one thing I've been trying to do is train my ear better. And like one of the best tips that you can do to train your ear better is to sing notes. Oh yeah. Um, so you can actually feel it. And that's helped me out so much. Like I'm so much better now at hearing something and being able to realize like what key it's in. Oh yeah. Um, cause you can just kind of like start singing it a little bit and then you're like, Oh that's those are the notes in the in the that you can piece it together i would almost say singing is more listening than singing because you have to hear yourself and hear how it matches with the rest of the group right um and it's all about hearing everyone else in the group because even if you're in key and they're not 
and it's like 13 other people that aren't, but you're the only one that stayed in key, you sound off. So who was the guy who would hit the little whistle at the beginning that would play the note that... Music director, usually. And that would be, I think, I never actually had that duty, thank goodness, but that would be the tonic of that key. Right, so yeah, I think if you're in, yeah, it would, there, it would there, make there's, sense. There's some, there's probably someone that with a music theory education that'll school me, and this is me using my high school knowledge and trying to sound complicated. Well, but, that, that would make sense though. If yeah. you're going to play everything in G major, you might want to play, play G. with G. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, but but anyway. yeah. Anyway, well, so this is a great song. I love it, um, and this is one of those class act groups. Um, so for those that know the pentatonics, Scott Hoying, the tall blonde guy. In that's kind of the lead singer of the group. It just sings a lot of the the solos for the group. His roommate was the male soloist in this song. He went to USC okay. at one point. Um, so very high caliber talent. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Sweet. Yeah, I would say both of the people who do solos on this are, are both extremely talented. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's dive into it. This is a song called The Wire by SoCal Vocals. It's all right. It felt right, it felt
SoCal vocals. I've learned so much about acapella groups during this podcast. You Good. just were telling me more about how No Comment now has their own mic system and things like that because apparently miking is very difficult for acapella groups. Yeah, um, it's really you know I, I've done countless performances with them, and you know it'd be anywhere from like you're at a frat and like they had something for Mom's Day and there's nothing, and you just got to sing in a room with 200 people. Would you guys get compensated for that stuff? Or did you just oh, do yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I started when we were just starting to increase prices. It was like maybe at the time 250 for a half hour. Now they can charge $1,000 or something nuts. Whoa. I'm not kidding. And they the pay The TV it. show, man. The TV show publicity, baby. It paid off. Um, I don't like... Honestly, that didn't drive leads. I'd like to think it, but it didn't. I think it was more acapella became big. You know, we had so many people auditioning that had no singing experience when Pitch Perfect came out. Um, I think probably way more than we usually get because of that. The, just the notoriety of acapella in general. How would you recommend someone train their voice or like practice? Is there anything that you would recommend exercises or is it, do you just have to get a vocal coach? Like how do you work on your voice? Um, like anything, I'd say it depends on what you want to do with it. Um, vocal, I mean, if you want to, like there's warm-ups that are, you know, good for stretching your range and whatnot. So like, you know, if you're I, I don't know. I mean, you want to be singing in all parts of your range and be, you know, but I th honestly, like if you just want to, you're an enthusiast and you just want to get into it, I'd say vocal coach is the best way to go. Mm -hmm. um, having someone who, you know, based on your goals, if you want to sing in a band, like singing rock is like way different than singing anything jazz or choral related. If you're wanting to sing a cappella, I'd say nine out of 10 of those people were like the section leaders of their high school choirs. They were just geeks that loved singing and they wanted to keep doing it. Um, so that's the most logical way to get into it. But there's, I mean, I've got friends that were in, in groups and they just do it for fun in the city. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to just jump in. And even if you don't have experience, you could probably find a way to get in. But I'd say having some kind of foundation from a coach, even for a couple months, would help you. Mm. Do you ever get a coach? I want to. It's a, something, I, I almost got one in St. Louis and just because I'm gone during the week so much, it, it didn't work out, but um, I plan to again. What would, like, what genre would you want to get better at? Um, probably will depend on when I get into it again. I probably would start with jazz, not because that's like my main outlet, but because there's just a lot of opportunity for me to sing good music that way versus like, let me sing country or like, you know, I actually do like country, but I just would rather start with jazz because I think it would teach me some fundamentals better than other genres. What about like doo-wop? I could do doo-wop. 
What is doo-wop, actually? Uh, <laughs> I don't I'm not going to give you the right answer. I think it's 1940s, like... Not to be confused with Umbop by Hanson, which is a great song. If you're, you're a big Hanson guy? Uh, that was my first... My first two albums I ever owned uh, were Spice Girls and Hanson. Three Door Garage by Hanson? Um, it could have been. I remember being, like, hazy. I don't know. I don't really remember it, to be honest. I couldn't pick out a Hanson song today, probably. Gotcha. Yeah, um, I've seen Hanson live twice in my life. Are you the, proud first of con- that? the first concert I ever went to was Hanson. I think mine was Jessica Simpson. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. For any Chicagoans that are, were around 15 years ago, Chevy did some big promotion where it was a free Jessica Simpson concert if you went in and did something, or it was like Kiss FM or something. My brother was a knucklehead in that Orland Square Mall, went up to some table and grabbed 40 of these vouchers. So we had 40 fucking tickets to Jessica Simpson. And I was like 11 or something. I don't know. But Dude, Liddy City. <laughs> all I remember, I hate cheese. Not all cheeses, but I hate like nacho cheese. It's like a thing for me. Yeah, you also, at lunch day, you got your sandwich without cheese. So you're, just, you're not a cheese guy. I don't like it. I like ricotta. I like some. But nonetheless, I sat in nacho cheese that day. So it was like a really bad day. Not only Jessica Simpson, she forgot her words that day. And then I sat in nacho cheese. So when you say you sat in nacho cheese, I know you probably meant like you accidentally sat in like a little bit of nacho cheese. I th- imagine you in like a pool up to like your elbows in nacho cheese. Like I'd be a kiddie sobbing pool. and <laughs> still at a counselor today if that's what happened. But uh, no, it was it was like a lawn, you know, for those that know. Is that Tweeter Center? Is that yeah, like-, like whatever it's called today in Tinley Park. But um, I was on the lawn and I sat in someone's nachos that left. So mad at them. But I've it sounds like a you problem, though. Why'd you sit in them? Because um, I was dumb in like 12. Gotcha. Well, that's all yeah. right, man. Hopefully, have you sat in nacho cheese since then? No. Not the last Yeah, I actually look anytime I sit down now. <laughs> Just the PTSD. Even in nice restaurants, like out with coworkers, Michelin stars or nacho cheese, nachos on the scene. Wow. Nice humble break that you go to Michelin star restaurants. I've been like twice. It's I'm not really. Is it, what's it like going to a Michelin star restaurant? Is it cool? You like yeah. It? I mean, I, so I, when I lived in Logan, um, Lo, Longman and Eagle, for those that know it at the time had a Michelin star. Now it doesn't. Where's that at? Is that Milwaukee? Yeah. You've been before, right? I don't think so. Oh, dude, we should have gone to lunch today there. It's freaking amazing. But nonetheless, it was like affordable, like high class stuff. And, you, and for those who want the story of like the Michelin book and all that, look it up. It's a cool one from Michelin Tires. And they somehow also own the, the most prestigious rating system for restaurants in the world. Kind of cool. Nonetheless. So random. Uh, it actually kind of makes sense. But, well, let me finish the story and then I can come back to that if you'd like. But um, nonetheless, Longman and Eagle wasn't, you know, if you're going out in Chicago, you like what an entree is anywhere from 15 to $25. And that's just kind of what you expect to spend. Um, and a few drinks are all, you know, anywhere from six or $7 for a beer to $15 for a cocktail, etc. Longman and Eagle, their price is pretty comparable to that. And then I learned what a Michelin star was. I'm like, shit, I'm going to try this place out. Blew my mind. And I became a foodie as I, you know, left college and uh, they had a great whiskey selection and it's still an amazing restaurant. So that's how I learned about Michelin rated places. And often they're not that much more than like other places you go out to eat. True. I guess <clears throat> I always think of like the French laundry or whatever in SF and like that place costs an arm and a leg. But then again, that's just San Francisco. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, the three star places will cost you an arm and a leg. That one. Yeah. I think is like three star. Okay. That's like, you know, uh, what would be, um, oh, I'm blanking on it in Chicago. 
like the um, Alinea. Uh, Alinea, thank you. That one's like 400 bucks a plate or something. But like that would be, uh, and I I would need to look this up to figure out what exactly is. But if you're three star, you're like best hundred restaurants in the world or something. So like you're going for an experience and like it's something you definitely don't, don't go to yearly. Like, I don't know, once every five to 10 years or you go once in your life just to brag about it and that's it. Mm -hmm. But one star, I think it would be more reachable for people like Blackbird in Chicago or there's others. Um, But yeah, worth checking out. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to go to Longman and Eagle. I think I've heard of it. I don't know. I'm not like a big food person. You, dude. You might have to break out of vegan for a little bit if you're going to. Just to do it. Yeah, because it's so good. Yeah, I would consider it. If the opportunity presented itself to well we should have done it today but nonetheless their bourbon pay their bourbon section of their cocktail list it's like seven pages long good grief it's it's long you big way is that, that your drink of choice uh it's my spirit of choice mm. is bourbon you're a beer guy through and through right yeah like people say oh it makes me bloated or this or that and i'm like no i don't fucking care i'm german and irish i guess it just i don't know it makes me feel normal yeah Makes me not bloated. I get bloated if I don't drink beer, <laughs> says Dirk Maloney. I bring a Bud Light to class. Like, <laughs> no, I, I pro- you don't understand. Can. I get bloated if I don't have this. Right? Yeah, you're like in like seventh grade. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would probably that'd be something that would happen in my hometown. Oh yikes! It'd be a Bush Light though. Natty. No, my town, my hometown, sponsored by Bush Light. <laughs> they get Keaton, Illinois. Yeah, that's like I always brag to people that. When you're driving in on 57, it's like, be its own. Welcome to be its own. The sign brought to you by Bush Light. I think mine was UV Camo Blue. Cans. <laughs> UV Blue? Yeah. Gross. Yeah. I mean, it's like antifreeze, that shit. Yeah, any vodka is in that for me. Because Burnett's in college just ruined it for me. Sweet tea Burnett's. Ew. Oh, you couldn't pay me to drink a bottle of that now. Yeah, acapella kids hated beer. What can I say? So they would constantly buy that and want to split it. And I'd say no, and I'd get a six-pack of, like, Goose Island, but... I think I... Peach Burnett's one time. I went <gasps> to, like, a sorority semi-formal or in the pregame they had. I think you told me about that. That's a, that's a story for another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you know about that story. <laughs> My close friends know about that story. Well, I don't know if I remember it all, but it's definitely ringing a bell. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I can fill in the blanks for you after we turn off the mics, but I'm not at the stage yet where I want to share that story with the masses. Well, you couldn't just... Edit it out later and play, you know. That's too much Gamble work, with yourself. That's too you much. remember to cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> little, yeah. Little story, Russian roulette. No. I, someday I'll disclose that story. That'll be a little teaser for our loyal fans. They can ping me offline and maybe I'll tell you. Can it be a poetic blog post? Because I, I don't remember that, what this is. I'm kind of building it up. I'll, t- I'll tell you afterwards. Yeah, um, but anyways, <laughs> I think on that note, let's, uh, let's bring it home, Dirk. So as Dave Grohl once said in Bridges Burned, these are my famous last words. So if Dirk Maloney, you were to say that exact same phrase, colon, blank, what would fill that blank? Oh, I didn't put enough thought into this. Um, it's cool. It's good if it's better, if it's candid, if it's uh, off the cuff. Mm. can be anything. You don't have to rack your brain too hard. No, I have something. Just give me. Um... I'm racking my brain a little too hard on this, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Love people a little more. I don't know. Because I think, is if I think about it, love is just so encompassing of, you know, I think, like, I define wealth as love, you know. 
it's not like the money we get because like things are here in one moment and gone in the next, you know, but you know, love or how you love other people is so important and I feel like a hippie saying it, but I think it's important. Um, and I think it really affects everything you do in life, you know, being serving others versus serving yourself. And yeah, I don't know. I'll leave it at that. A little philosophical, but who gives a fuck? Love people more. No, I, I think the world would be a better place if we all loved more. And I, I was telling you about this earlier. I read a reread a book recently called love yourself. Like your life depends on it yeah. uh, by Kamal Ravikant. And the whole premise of that book is very similar. It's like if everyone had, if we had more love in the world, things would be better. And the cool thing is, is that all of us can create more love within ourselves just by loving ourselves more, which is a little bit heady, a little bit cheesy, a little bit hippy dippy, but um, it's something that I've taken great pleasure in, in my life. And so if you don't know where to start, I say, start by loving yourself. Yeah. And then from there, go on friends, family, your greater community. I think the world would be a better place. I think people would make better decisions and, um, more productive decisions perhaps if they did that. Yeah. I, um, my dad had a good phrase, a bit of advice for me going into college. He said, Dirk, most of the people you encounter will only perceive what's within arm's reach. Mm. And say so you'd start getting used to that now. And I think that applies to many people that I've encountered, not to be an overly pessimist, pessimistic person, but, um, think if you're loving others, you're putting others first and you're thinking of them. You know, I don't know. That's an interesting point. Also kind of ties into another thing that I believe in, which is like always think bigger because like, if you're thinking like you mentioned only at arm's reach, then, you know, the amount of influence is already, you're already capping your amount of influence that you can have on the world, which is thinking small in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, for those, uh, this is a Christian reference. So for those that don't want to listen, don't listen, but C.S. Lewis in the book, Great, uh, The Great Divorce, it's a book about a busload of people from hell that are taken to heaven, and one by one, most of them just electively decide to turn back. It's really interesting. But uh, in the beginning part of it, they're describing what hell in this metaphor looks like. And one of them is, uh, it's like there's this landing point, and then all these people like spread out, and then basically most of them, like the most evil people, as it's kind of painting it out to be, are the most secluded. And the most just like self-absorbed as they're describing it. Like one, they were taught one person was Napoleon and he was like, had this palace way, way off from the landing point, if I'm remembering it right. And he's just like rethinking how different battles could have gone. He would have conquered the world. This is really interesting to think about it that way. But I, it resonated with me as I, you know, have run my life in the few years that I've had so far. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess that's where love comes into play, man. Bring other people into the world, uh, your world. Good stuff, Dirk. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was this a pleasure great. to have you. Absolutely, dude. Well, you are now a recurring guest, so you're welcome to come back on whenever you want. Wow, I'd love to. So, this is great. We'll do it again soon, man. But thanks so much for coming on again. This has been Five Songs with Friends. We're out. Good night. Good night.